African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushadama. Thank you for joining us on our shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV on Channel 902. Well, let me let you know what we're doing today. We're going to be looking at the African Capital Cities Sustainability Forum, which is taking place in Pretoria, South Africa. And we're going to really look how do we create more sustainable cities on the continent. That's the main reason that we're having this uh, question, because it is Africa Week, and we're building up to also the anniversary of Channel Africa on Saturday. So our main theme this week will be on Africa. But before we get into that topic, let's get our news. Top stories, Kenyan police arrest two suspected members of an Islamic State affiliate plotting bomb attacks and the last remaining United Nations sanctions on Liberia lifted. Good morning, I'm Amanda Machaka. Kenyan police have arrested two suspected members of an Islamic State affiliate plotting bomb attacks weeks after arresting other members of the alleged gang. Police claimed that the two men had been radicalized in a mosque in Islam in the capital Nairobi, where they were recruited into the Islamic State group ISIS, which they said is seeking to establish itself in Kenya. The two men are alleged to have been plotting revenge attacks after Mohammed Abdi Ali, the alleged leader of the group and a medical student, was arrested earlier this month along with two others for allegedly planning an anthrax attack. They have not yet been charged. The last remaining United Nations sanctions on Liberia have been lifted in a decision the United States said was a tangible sign of how far the West African country had come. The UN Security Council on Wednesday voted unanimously to lift an arms embargo on rebel groups that was imposed 13 years ago to support a peace deal that ended a devastating war. It was the last punitive measure enforced from a sweeping series of sanctions that had included travel bans, assets freezes, and a ban on pressure stones exports. U.S. Deputy Ambassador David Pressman said the decision showed how far Liberia has come in its transition to peace and marked the first time since 1992 that the country was not under UN sanctions.
FAO and the World Food Programme have begun providing provisions and support to nearly 50,000 hungry farming families in the Central African Republic. This coincides with the height of the lean season, when household food stocks are typically the lowest. These farming families are located in the most food-insecure areas of the country. Emergency Preparedness and Response Officer with FAO, Roberta Canula, explains. FAO and WFP, in partnership with many national and international NGOs, are supporting the agricultural campaign in Central African Republic by providing seeds, tools and food items to the most vulnerable farming households in the country. Uh, they are providing this uh, assistance right now because this is the period when the food stocks are at the lowest. FAO distributes crop and vegetable seeds, while WFP distributes food items with the intention to protect the seeds, so to avoid that these are eaten by families and they are no longer available at the time of planting. And this is what we call the seeds protection rations. Egypt's air accidents chief says a vessel provided by French company Alciama, which specializes in marine wreckage searches, will join within hours the hunt for the black boxes from crashed Egypt air flight MS-804. Ayman al-Mukadem says negotiations were also underway to contract a second firm to help in the search. The investigating team had also received radar imagery and audio recordings from Greece detailing the flight trajectory of the plane and the last conversation between its partners and Greek air traffic control. The search for the emergency locator transmitter is also underway. And finally, an Egyptian appeals court has overturned five-year prison sentences for 47 people for participating in unauthorized protests but upheld fines of more than $11,000 each. The defendants were among more than 150 people sentenced to jail in mid-May in connection with demonstrations on April 25 against Egypt's decision to hand over two Red Sea islands to Saudi Arabia. Rice campaigners accused President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi of crushing dissent since he deposed his democratically elected Islamist predecessor Mohamed Morsi in 2013. Recapping your top stories, Kenyan police arrest two suspected members of an Islamic State affiliate plotting bomb attacks and the last remaining United Nations sanctions on Liberia lifted. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, this is an exciting week for us here on Channel Africa. Our main focus is Africa this week. We started on Monday with the issue of uh, is the whole idea of the African Renaissance a relevant issue? And we carried on and spoke about uh, other issues that really have to do with the topic of Africa. Uh, We spoke about the issue of uh, regional integration when it comes to our infrastructure on Tuesday. Yesterday, we were right in the action in Yeovil where we were celebrating Africa Day. What a fantastic day it was for us 
yesterday. And what I loved about yesterday, it was a very offbeat program, I know, but we got to speak to the ordinary Africans in Yeovil, and that was a fantastic ride for us. We really enjoyed being there. If you're listening to us from Yeovil, with a few people saying we listen to Channel Africa from Yeovil. So if you're listening to us there and you saw us, thank you for being part of the participation there. But today we're continuing with the theme of Africa, and we're looking at African cities and what do they actually mean? What do they actually represent? And today we're looking at the issue because, you know, Africa's high rate of urbanization poses several challenges to the developmental uh, program of cities with rampant urban sprawl and infrastructure that is unable to cope with this uh, urbanization speed, while simultaneously there's posing social challenges and environmental damages, poverty elevation, alleviation rather is a big issue, good governance is an issue, education, social cohesion, food security, we can go on and on speaking about energy, water, green economy issues, infrastructure, waste management, we can continue. So today we'll be looking at this issue and really looking at what is happening at the forum that is taking place very much underway. We got on the line uh, Doranteo who is the director of the sustainability unit of the city of Tuana municipality and also we've got Gordon Brown who is from Alive to Green who's the event uh, organizer and Paul Sibilibili who is from NetBank who's also really funding this uh, uh, forum that we're talking about today as I introduced it earlier on. But let me start this uh, conversation with you Dora. In terms of looking at uh, sustainability on the African continent especially with our cities, why is it important? Dora, are you there with us? Dora, are you there? Okay, now let's see if we've got Gordon Brown. Gordon, are you there with us? Yes, I am. Thank well, you very much. Fantastic. Let's see if Mpoh Bill is there with us. Mpoh, are you there? Hi, everybody. I'm definitely here. Fantastic. Okay, let me start this conversation with you. I think we're struggling with that line with Dora. Mpoh, let me ask this question. Why is it important for us to look at the sustainability of African cities? Um, thank you for that question. I think, you know, we always look at Africa as the dark continent and, you know, we need to actually work cohesively together to overcome that perception um, as, us, um, as us being part of uh, or, or living within this dark continent. Um, we have so much that we have achieved um, as a continent. We have so much that we have to um, unlock. And, and I think definitely as a bank, that's where we see ourselves playing a role, is enabling that potential, is an enabling that sustainable future that we all strive for because we all know that we as a business, we cannot thrive in a failing society. Um, so, so speaking from an Africa perspective is, is, is definitely the kind of um, conversations that we want to be involved in. And thanks to Sustainability Week, it allows us that platform for us to actually harness the collectiveness um, and, and the shared aspiration of being a thriving society to then present, to present um, some global opportunities um, that, um, you know, that can basically make mm, a mark mm. for us as Africans. Mm. Well, I'm going to come back to why NetBank thinks that African cities and sustainability are an important thing and subject to be actually partaking in, because most of the time we ask the question, how is the private sector itself being involved in actually the advancement of our economies, the advancement of African and Africa, rather, in its development? But let me move to you, Gordon Brown. He's the Alive to Green. He's also the event organizer. Uh, Gordon, thank you for giving us your time. 
Well, what a pleasure, Benjamin. Nice to be on your show. Fantastic. African Capital Sustainability Forum. Just give us a little bit briefly. What is it all about? What does it stand for? Well, um, essentially, the, the ideas uh, emanated from uh, the office of the executive mayor of the city of Tuani. Uh, essentially, uh, for uh, Councillor Ramachopa, uh, to extend the invitation to mayors of other capital cities around Africa to essentially form a network. And the purpose of that network really is to discuss their joint responsibilities, if you like, as capital cities, but possibly also the opportunity that they have in 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 their natural leadership role within their own countries, among the local government leadership in their countries, to lead the way and to be exemplary cities. And so Mm. it's from that basis that the idea sprang to have this forum uh, for him to invite his counterparts from from other African capital cities to discuss the, the issues, discuss the challenges, uh, most importantly, to share knowledge, share experience, to discuss the solutions from their own perspective uh, in terms of what they can do to begin to address sustainability issues mm. in their cities and act as an example to the other cities in their countries. Mm. Let's see if we've got Dora on the line. Dora Ndeo is the director of the sustainability unit in the city of Tswane Municipality. Uh, Dora, are you there? Yes, I'm still here. Can you hear me now? Yes, now we can hear you. It's great to have you on the line, Dora. Tell us a little bit. I mean, yesterday we were celebrating Africa Day. It was a big day for us here on Channel Africa. And I saw also there was a lot of celebrations that were taking place in different parts of South Africa and also on the continent. I'm sure it's a day that every country was actually upholding and actually appreciating the work that's being done on the continent. I know that the city of Tswane takes much pride in the whole green economy and being green. Why is this uh, uh, forum very important, especially to the mayor and also to the municipality itself? Okay, thank you. I mean, for us as a city, we've, we've realized that, um, I mean, firstly, the African continent is the, fa- is the fastest growing continent in the world, but yet at the same time, it's the one that's extremely impacted by the effects of climate change, and it's the one that still has a lot of development space in, in, in it. And now when you look at this whole sustainability area and agenda and, and, and climate change, we've seen that we've been engaging on, an, on, an, on, on different international platforms. We go to different conferences around mm. the world. Mm. And in all those areas, we find that the African agenda is defined by other, other countries or other forums rather than forums that are from within Africa, you know, I mean, the solutions for for us within the continent will have to come from us. And we realize that, I mean, as as, as one of the capital cities in, in Africa, we would really like to learn from our counterparts within the continent and work together in tackling this whole climate change challenge and also leveraging on, 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 on the opportunities presented by the green economy, the growing green economy and, and so forth. And that's why then this whole issue of a forum of African capital city mayors was put in place. I mean, we are not even excluding other mm. mayors of other cities in, mm. in, in these countries, but we are saying that capital cities in each country have a huge role to play in providing some leadership 
and uh, best practice. So maybe let's start there and, mm. and, and engage on that and that particular level. So we committed for these three years. We, the inaugural one was last year. We have, we're having the second one this year and the third one next year. So we committed as Tuani to host um, mayors for the next three years. Mm. And after that, one of the capital cities within Africa will take up. And as we meet, then the different mayors are able to then share what it is that they do and take commitments, go back home, implement, and we come back after the year, we we take stock Mm -hmm. and we figure out how we move forward. It's also a great opportunity as a collective to even leverage on uh, financial resources that are out there as a collective rather than just one city sitting alone trying to get resources. Mm -hmm. So we are really seeing strength in, in numbers and in a more organized kind of uh, platform. So we're well, quite excited about this. So Dora, I'm going to come back to you. I know we've got a few minutes left with you because you have to go to some of the meetings that are taking place in preparation yes. of the forum itself. But I'm going to go to a quick mm-hmm. break. Stay with us, Dora. We've got Dora Dale, who's the okay. director of the sustainability unit, who is from the city of Twanem Municipality. Gordon Brown as well joins us on the line from Alive to Green, which is the event organizer, as well as the sponsors and Possibly Billy, who is from NetBank. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're speaking about African cities. How can they be more sustainable? And we'll get into to the nitty-gritties after this break. Dear Channel Africa listener, this month, May 2016, yes, this May 2016, Channel Africa is celebrating 50 years of broadcasting and Africa Month. Join us this Saturday, the 28th of May, to experience the tastes, sights and sounds of our continent, Africa, right here in Johannesburg, South Africa. Your favorite radio station, Channel Africa, will be broadcasting live from Johannesburg's Yeovil Boys Sports Grounds from 10 a.m. in the morning until 5 in the afternoon Central African time. For further information, check details on Channel Africa's website, www.channelafrica.co.za. 50 years of excellence in broadcasting. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, today we're speaking about how can we create more sustainable cities on the continent of Africa. We've retained a theme this week looking at Africa. We started with infrastructure. We moved on to the African Renaissance. We yesterday we were speaking to people on the ground, speaking about what does it mean for them to be African. Today we're speaking about the importance of African cities. And you know, when we move on with African cities, we're seeing the complex issues of urbanization, people moving more into cities because of economic reasons. Impossibly be less NetBank. Why do you want to position yourself in a space whereby you actually want to see kind of a debate or a conversation or investment around African cities? Thank you. I think, um, you know, it's important for us to acknowledge that we need to operate within the confines of um, environmental limits while meeting societal needs. So, uh, you know, we know the the dire situation that's out there, um, you know, as we move along into um, from from north um, down to the south of Africa. Um, we share resources, and if we are depleting the resources faster than we can actually replace them, um, it then becomes a, a continental calling. 
And we feel that this is not something that Nedbank will solve alone. This is not something that a single entity will solve on its own. We therefore need a partnership approach that will look at how do we then harness the, 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 the richness that we have that I spoke about earlier of Africa to then help solve our societal issues and environmental issues. And remember that we don't see sustainability as an environmental imperative. We see it far more than that, where it integrates the social, cultural, um, and and economic. And the economic part is, 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 is I think, it's, it's more of an important part for us because we have the capital to enable that, um, that, that achievement. Um, and looking at how we understand and embrace this interconnectivity, sustainability we gives us that platform where we can actually have those rich conversations, we can share information, we can learn from one another, and we can come out inspired to actually go back to our respective environments and, and come up with the solutions to then individually make a difference so that collectively it actually all comes together. Because if we've got that shared resource, we need that shared, um, that shared action. Um, and Something that I would like to share with you guys is one of the ways in which we're delivering on this mechanism is our Fair Share 2030 strategy. And that all, all basically means is that we're getting money to work for the future that we want. So it's lending that looks at how do we make a change around, for example, student accommodation, which we've mm. already had 1.8 uh, billion rand allocated to that. How do we embed energy for the agricultural sector and affordable housing? So like you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, um, elements within sustainability that will be impacted at Sustainability Week. But definitely our involvement, we see that as more of an enabler for us to use our core business to, to, to tap into those resources that, um, you know, the, the, the likes of your NGOs mm -hmm. would not necessarily have. Sure. So partners, partnering with uh, the likes of your Alive to Green, your City of Twanis, is so much more important um, for us in actually uh, achieving this goal. Well, let me move to you, Dora, to look at those particular challenges because those challenges are there because it's almost like we're all scrabbling for the space in the cities. How can we actually ensure that actually everyone gets that space within cities? Because the reality is this is where uh, the economy is actually been driven. Um, cities are economic hubs of the continent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, they are, and yes, there's dire challenges we sit with uh, competing priorities between, you know, development needs, uh, which uh, requires uh, basic service delivery, and as well as these other matters that are more innovative and robust that needs to be put in place. So at any given point in time, we are juggling balls, and, and, and especially at um, metropolis uh, level. But what we are really trying to do is, and that's why the concept of a green economy, wherein whenever you come up with an intervention, you have to answer questions related to the triple bottom line. What are the social benefits? Are you creating employment opportunities and economic growth opportunities for those that would be benefiting from it? Secondly, are you protecting? protecting the environment and are you contributing to a broader economic growth of, of the country that you find yourself in. So 
it's not easy to do, but we've seen really best uh, practices wherein we really utilize communities to make sure that be it food production, it is that enterprise create not locked into situations where they is part of the natural world that that needs to be protected. It's part of the environment, and 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 it's naturally well, it's something that is is uh, uh, um, degraded as a consequence of human endeavor and human activity. I mentioned industry driving our cars and so forth. All of these things mm. undermine the quality of the air. Mm. And this is one of the whole, you know, this is really what uh, this key role of the municipalities have uh, in terms of protecting, first of all, their citizens from things like pollution and so forth, and secondarily, protecting the general environment for the benefit ultimately of their citizens as well. Hmm. And so you mentioned the talk, you're talking about measuring and monitoring. And yes, I mean, there are a number of organizations that are trying to do these sorts of things. Uh, right here in South uh, there's, there's the um, uh, mega city, uh, I can't think of the, the, the name now, Dora could help me out, but there's hmm. the South the Teng City Observatory, which sure. is set up to endeavor to try to measure you know, impacts, not only on the air, but as I say, all sorts of impacts, uh, uh, population growth, impacts on, on uh, soil quality, water, and so forth. And yes, this is one of the potential benefits that can flow from the type of network that Councillor Ramachopa is trying to create by reaching out to uh, um, African uh, capital city mayors, is to create a foundation from which uh, greater levels of information and data can be obtained and then shared for, for the understanding of everybody. Mm. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and we have to let you go, Dora, but we'll stay with Gordon Brown, and I'll come to you, um, Paul Sibili-Bili. Thank you, uh, Dora, for giving us your time. That's Dora Ndeo, who is the Director of the Sustainability Unit at the City of Tswane Municipality. But we'll continue the conversation with Gordon Brown. I think I also have to come to you, Paul Sibili-Bili, to also just uh, pick your brain on some of the elements that you highlighted there. Today, we're speaking about Africa and uh, the cities that we have, the sustainability of those cities. How do we ensure that our cities are sustainable? Give us your thoughts. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. Or you can also give us your thoughts at African Dialogue. That's our Twitter handle at Africa Dialogue. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back. If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance.
This is African Dialogue. You're with me, Benjamin Moshatam. And you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 902. Thank you to those who are also listening to us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. This is where we bring experts every day from Monday to Thursday, really to speak about issues that are pertaining to the continent of Africa. Today, we're speaking with the African Capital City Sustainability forum uh, stakeholders to find out what the forum is all about and why this important issue is relevant, the issue of uh, cities and their sustainability. On the line, we still have Gordon Brown, who is the event organizer. He's from Alive to Green. And also on the line, we've got Paul Sibilibili, who is representing NetBank. Paul, let me come back to you in terms of the issue of uh, these idea of the green culture. And I think that's something that the city of Tswane has really de- delved into. And when you go into the city, you see a lot of uh, projects that are taking place in order to reshape the city to be more green-centric and to think about the environment. Uh, why is this also kind of a theme that NetBank is also carrying? I see your corporate is one that also thinks more kind of green and is aware of the environment. Um, yeah, the, the cultural is, is definitely part of the four um, imperatives that we view sustainability um, from. Um, and it's it's definitely you know while we're driving sustainability in this way, it's definitely not rock science. It it requires that uncompromising strategic intent um, because you, you you know the achievement the achievement of putting it to the core at the core of your strategy is that you bring the issues to fore um, in a way that will help place sustainability at the centre of modern day South African um, or even African consciousness. Um, so culturally, you know we. We do quite a lot of um, uh, uh, activities or we explore a lot of opportunities internally and externally that looks at the cultural and strategic intent. Um, And, you know, it's, it's... Changing behavior is is definitely the biggest challenge within the cultural component Mm, because mm. if people, if you're raising the issue with people that, you know, pollution, this is the impact that pollution will have, and we all pollute in somewhere or or form, it it never registers until it impacts them either economically, it impacts them either through an emotional um, kind of of output. So internally, we we uh, you know we've we've transformed even our operations to enable our our employees to to get into the habits of 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 living sustainably. So and that comes to walking the talk is that if if you so as as Africa's first carbon neutral bank, we've invested quite a lot of efforts to even transform in ourselves in the way that we provide the products and services to our clients, the way in which our staff behave in the environment. And what we found is by harnessing that positive attitude change, it then manifests itself even at home. So all of a sudden you start seeing that our staff are even teaching, uh, taking the learnings back home to say, guys, we need to actually be more vigilant in how we use water. We actually need to be more economical in how we use electricity. And if you look at the power then of how many more of those people can um, you know, can actually achieve that behavioral change, you start to then see it even impacting um, us on a, on a continental perspective. All of a sudden, you see our national grids are not stressed anymore. All of a sudden, you see that our rivers are not as, as dirty anymore. Mm. So even in the way that we try and create a culture of sustainability with our staff, we certainly... Um, 
filter that into um, into how we do business with our clients, mm. how we even partner with the likes of WWF. Mm. So the cultural part is 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 actually quite an underestimated um, imperative because that is the, is where the power of change lies because that's where you're able to impact because if people see themselves as part of the solution it's so much easier for change to actually start being realized. Mm. Gordon, that's interesting what um, Paul is highlighting. There. It's almost like a change and a shift of consciousness and how you actually see things in the world and how you interact with your environment. But the challenging thing for African cities is the fact that people have bigger challenges than pollution in their minds. You know, they have to actually make ends meet. They have to find out, okay, where am I getting my next dollar for the meal for tomorrow? And sometimes uh, the whole issue of how I interact with my environment is second place. How do governments or uh, the public sector, the private sector, ensure that we we create spaces where people have dialogues whereby they understand that actually it is their consciousness of actually sustainability that actually can assist them as well on how to save, on how to save in terms of resources. I think the green economy is also the answer for some of our uh, social problems and the issues of poverty. Yes, I mean, uh, absolutely. I think uh, what's interesting is that, yes, the uh, people that, um, you know, are struggling for the very basic needs that they have, that's beyond that at considerations such as the environment, you know. And so you might often see, you know, in, in sort of low-income areas, you might see litter and things like that. Also, of course, they're not always serviced by the municipalities, but these are things that are, are very real, and even even here in South Africa, where you know where we where, where incomes perhaps are higher than in some parts of Africa, I, I believe there's quite a lot of apathy in the part of of consumers, and I think that the, that to a large degree the green economy is being driven by a combination of uh, corporate organisations and government, and in particular under the heading of government. Uh, at, a, at, a, at an implementation level, it's being driven by the municipalities, and there's a and there's a great logic to that as well. Because at the end of the day, if you think of sustainability in terms of firstly the big carbon issue, uh, it's about electricity and it's about petrol. The municipalities affect that directly in terms of they mm. they trade in that electricity, they decide where they well they don't always decide where they buy it from, but in this country in particular, cities can actually and do actually produce part of their own electricity. They also make policies that affect households. So the, the ability to facilitate things like solar PV on rooftops of businesses and households is something that the municipalities have a great deal of control over. Uh, the other big issue, transport. You look at municipalities, it's, they are the ones that determine how road, the road infrastructure functions in their city. They're the ones rolling out public transport. Mm-hmm. So it's all about getting people out of their cars into public transport, and that ultimately falls within the, the, the ambit of the municipality and is a function of how that, that, that city or that town works. You know, if you move on and you talk about water, Ultimately, where do you get your water? You get it from the council. The council delivers water to households and businesses, and so therefore they're in a very strong position to influence how the resource is, is, is treated in the first place and, and, and ultimately, to a lesser degree, how it's used by the end user. But they do, they do have a, a key role to play in relation to water. You extend that to sanitation and waste services. 
This is the protection of the environment from, uh, from waste that we create. This is a role and a mandate of the municipality. And that extends to their, their protection role of protecting the local, uh, uh, the, the local uh, environment, conservation, and so on and so forth. And it also brings in the, sort of the, the relationship between cities and companies, which is there is a principal mandate to municipalities to drive economic development within their municipalities. And so they're stuck with this with this often contradictory role of trying to promote business and industrialization at the same time protect the environment from industrialization. Mm. But my point is, and, and, and is that you're right. Uh, it, it's not always the, the consumer, it's not always the end user that is the one driving and pushing for sustainable solutions. Uh, and we're very fortunate that the municipal sector, especially in South Africa, has taken up a very strong leadership position in relation to driving sustainability within our city. And they are at the forefront of that. The private sector, you know, is responding in some instances, obviously the, the, the engineering, the consulting, the, the technological solutions, the finance, Etc. Etc. That's all. Uh, all the sustainability projects that are being run by the municipalities are ultimately being delivered by the private sector. Mm. And so there's there's this there's this uh, uh, and that and that essentially is is an aspect of the principal aspect of the green economy in action. Um, mm. So so yes, it, you're right. But it, it's also it's 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 appropriate that sustainability is being driven by people that govern cities. But the trick is also, it's, it's coming back, it's, it's great to see this private and public uh, relationship that's taking place, but how does that trickle down? Maybe I should take this to you, Paul. Maybe you have ideas of how can we actually mobilize this consciousness into the ordinary person on the street, this how to create a sustainability. Because if you look into the inner city of Johannesburg, it's not that clean. It's not that well looked after. And it mainly is because of us, the people who use the streets themselves. But how do we allow that consciousness that this is your road, this is your street, this is where your taxi rank is, so keep it clean. But I think that consciousness is not necessarily reaching the ordinary person in the streets. And there are challenges to that, isn't there? There's lots of challenges with that, and I think you know if 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 you just switch on the TV and you look at um, the news reports, or if you just pick up a paper, you can see um, you know citizens are in in distress because of service delivery issues, and they feel you know the price of um, the price of living is has gone up too mm-hmm. much, and you know there's an unnecessary expenditure, and I think governance is a is is a real great threat and challenge that we're dealing with as a continent. Um, and for me, is the opportunity comes in um, when municipalities take ownership of the engagement. A lot of times, um, you know, when you're trying to influence people, it's, it's always hard when you're influencing at, at the back foot. And right now we're at the back foot because there are some fundamental issues that, um, that I think, you know, uh, we could do better as cities. And and if we overcome those basics, I think we'll start to have some 
you know, interesting engagements with the citizens of the cities to say, guys, this is actually our view of what the green economy actually has um, uh, has um, has for us. This is our outlook. This is how we want you guys to be a part of this journey because we're all on this journey together in, in some or form, whether pe- if people see this as an environmental issue or, you know, it's an economic issue, how does it, what does it mean to my back pocket, but... Engagement is very important because people are people, and if you speak to the hearts and minds of the people, you'll, you'll very easily um, mm. realize that mm. they, they'll actually be very recipi- uh, receptive mm. to the messages. They'll be receptive to the calls to action because you are speaking to what keeps them awake at night. You're speaking to what is important, and we need to move away from viewing sustainability as this environmental issue. So if we are concerned about putting food on the table, that is it's sustainability. It's the threat of the human survival. And, and, and if we are so serious about engagement, I think we will see, we'll, see we'll, we'll start to gain traction, especially in the big urban, um, urban areas mm. where you have quite um, you know, a, a big economic activity where people are actually enabled, mm. um, even financially, to also start their journeys. And and there is no right or wrong way, guys. Mm. I think, you know, what people need to realize is that this is not a copy and paste solution. Mm. Each and every single one of us are unique in our own being. Our challenges um, might be similar, but, you know, you want to feel like you're an individual. And you as an individual, Mm. if you feel like you can make a difference and, and your city is engaging you in a way that is including you, and is making part of the solution, you will start to see that cultural sustainability actually improving or even uh, a bearing bearing fruit. Mm. So well, it's interesting what, what you're highlighting there because you're broadening up even this idea of sustainability of what it means. But let me give you the, the final say, Gordon, on, on, on our conversation today. Your thoughts there on this high idea of sustainability that it's not just about our environment, that's also about uh, also ordinary people in the streets, their livelihoods. It's also connected to that. And I think that's an important human element that Empower is bringing into this conversation. Are you questioning? You, is that a question for me? Yes, yes. I was, ask, I was asking you maybe on some of the points that employ is bringing about, yes. in, in including the whole human element to the idea of sustainability. No, absolutely. I mean, look, if you if you just consider the you know the sort of high level definition of sustainability, it is to say that you know uh, we need to develop and live today in a way that does not compromise the opportunity and the, the, the uh, resources that future generations need to develop and live. So the point is sustainability is about people. It's about you and me. It's about everybody. Mm, mm. So it's really not about, uh, about uh, tree-hugging and <laughs> you know, uh, you know, sugar, well, you know, um, sugar and spice and mother mm, love. No. Mm. This is about this is about the real issues, you know. Mm. Paul mentioned uh, uh, mentioned food. I mean, you know how we farm, the intensity with which mm. we farm, what we farm, um, the water intensity mm. of what we farm. These are fundamental decisions that will affect our future. I mean, we're in the middle of a drought right now, mm. and it's forcing everyone in the water sector to talk about sustainability. 
Mm. Because all of a sudden we've had a shock. So when things are going fine, no one's really thinking about sure. All of a sudden we have an external shock and everyone goes, well, wait a minute, is, is what we're doing sustainable? Mm. Or do we have to change? Mm. Um, so, you know, it's exactly the same with electricity. When, when mm. we had rolling blackouts, everyone jumped up and started looking at alternatives, mm. energy efficient light bulbs, putting in solar water heaters, sure. uh, companies jumping up and down, uh, uh, you know, buying generators and so forth. All of a sudden, uh, the minute we stop the rolling blackouts, uh, the apathy sets back in. Sure. And goes, you know what, I'll just pay for the electricity. <laughs> I can't be bothered to invest in the rooftop solar. Mm. So, you know, but at the end of the day, all of these issues, they come back to us, to ourselves. Mm. Do we want clean water to drink on demand? Mm. Do we want to be able to switch, flip a switch and have a light go on or cook a meal? Do we want to be able to go down to the supermarket and buy a, a healthy food that's, that's uh, grown in, in, a, in a way that's healthy to the environment. Mm. Do we want to go down and uh, you know, uh, you know, eat fresh fish, sure. knowing that it's an abundant resource? So well, Gordon, we have so to wrap it up. Sure, do, sure. Right. Everything we do is connected to sustainability. Fantastic. Thank you, Gordon. That's Gordon Brown, who is the event organizer and uh, part of Alive to Green. We're speaking in connection of the African Capital City Sustainability Forum, which is going to be taking place from next week. So we're previewing the conversations that are going to be taking place there. Thank you as well to Impossibility from NetBank, who's also the sponsor of this event. Earlier on, we had Doran Deo, who is the director of the sustainability unit of the city of Tswane Municipality. Thank you both for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. We know you guys have busy schedules, but thank you for being part of our program. A pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much indeed. Well, let's quickly move on. We won't go to a break, but we'll just quickly go directly to uh, our economics update with Sani Matebule standing by. Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. More than 100 bank accounts have been frozen by the South African Reserve Bank on suspicion of being used in illicit financial transactions. The bank's head of surveillance, Elijah Mazibuko, says they have arrested people in four provinces and investigations are continuing. Taking from January 2015 to date, uh, 145 bank accounts have been frozen as a result of suspected uh, illicit financial flows and approximately out of those 145 there's a, there's about 307 million rand that has been blocked and then you also have opened 77 new investigation cases during that period and then we as i said we work with the enforcement agencies there has been arrest in KZN Pumalanga Western Cape and Gauteng and South African Power Utility ESCOM says it has no plan to waive uh, the electricity debt of uh, residents of uh, Soweto, which is South Africa's uh, biggest uh, township. Media reports have suggested that ESCOM plans to waive the residents' debt on conditions that they convert to prepaid meters. Spokesperson for ESCOM, Kulipasiwe, clarifies. 
We are not going to write off any debt. We have done it before. It is not working. Some households are child-headed and uh, there's no income and things like that. So we are not going to have a blanket freeze on the interest that, that's in charge on this debt. So we are going to assess each individual uh, according to their merits and then we'll take it from there. But there are people, it is indeed true, in Soweto and also in the country who can pay but are not paying and are hiding behind the other people who are poor. So we have to deal with each individual case as it comes. Now to Nigeria, where Parliament has summoned the central bank governor and the finance minister to explain how a shift to a more flexible foreign exchange policy could help Africa's biggest economy to contend with its worst crisis in decades. It comes a day after the central bank said it will adopt a flexible exchange rate policy. Meanwhile, Nigeria's distributable revenues to the three tiers of government fell in April to 1.4 billion US dollars down in March due to low oil prices. Nigeria's finance minister came Adeyusin says uh, the fall in revenue was caused by the drop in the average price of uh, crude oil. Nigeria, which is a member of OPEC, relies on crude sales for about 70% of its government revenues. Now let's look at your financial indicators. This time around, the dollar is at 15.65 to the South African rand at 11.08 Botswana Pula, 10.26 Zambian Kwacha, also trading at 0.68 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities gold is at $1,229, platinum at $1,003 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil is now hovering at $50.10 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. I'm back in an hour's time with another update. In our sports update this hour, I'm Figuile Nwadi. I start off with athletics. Congolese short-putter, that is Frank Ilemba, provided the highlight of the IWAF World Challenge meeting in the Senegalese capital, Dakar, when he set a national record of 21.01 meters on Wednesday. The effort added 48 centimeters to the 2015 African Games Championships, previous best set indoors in Karlsruhe earlier this year. He is just the third African putter over 21 meters after South Africa's Janus Roberts, who holds the African record with 21.97 meters, and Nigeria's Stephen Mozia. The meeting also incorporated the IAAF Hammer, that's a throw challenge, and the men's and women's events were won by Pavel Beresha from Belarus and Moldova's Zalina Magieva, who win with 75.29 meters and 71.91 meters respectively. The men's sprints were wind-assisted with the plaudits in the 200-meter going to Ivory Coast's Ben Meite, who won in 20.47, with Gambia's Adama Jame second in 20.53 seconds. USA's Jeff Porter and South Africa's Antonio Algana were both timed at 13.40 seconds in the 110-meter hurdles, but the verdict went to the American. And former Ghanaian sports minister O.B. Amoa says there is no way Team Ghana can win a medal at the Rio Olympic Games. 
Amoa is of the view that lack of funding as well as not investing in the long-term preparations of athletes for the multi-sport competition are at the core of his rationale in concluding that Team Ghana could return from Rio empty-handed. Now, Rio, chairman of the Ghana Athletics Association to Rio, Professor Francis Dodu, who shares Amoa's sentiments, explains. We have another six or so weeks till the qualification period ends. We are still preparing. We still have two competitions in Ghana ahead of us. We have uh, uh, the African Championships in South Africa. Preparation is also in athletics. In other because we haven't handed their teams over to the Olympic Committee. In times gone by, Ghana came up with a blueprint of developing other minor sporting codes such as rugby and cricket. At the time, there was fanfare about it. But unfortunately, the excitement has since died and it's back to square one. Dodu has more. National traditions are the ones that are, are responsible for preparing their athletes for, for major competition. What I'm telling you now is the traditional patients. I can tell you, sir, it was a response to a question. That's all I said. And people have interpreted it many ways. One, I mean, it was a simple response to a simple question. And my point was this. It's not a fair thing to put pressure on athletes who are going for a competition, especially when you haven't sort of given them any money for it. That's all I said. But the respective federations, you know, athletics, I know where we've gone, the sponsors who have helped us, the support that we've had. And our athletes are preparing adequately. Finally, with golf news, the Masters champion, Danny Willard, this week headlines one of the European Tour's most prestigious events, the BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth. Nick Dye reports. Willard reckons he was stale in Ireland last week, but he trusts being in front of what he calls some of the best crowds of the year will help restore his game towards the standards of Augusta. Fellow English players like Lee Westwood, second to Willett at the Masters, and Luke Donald, who's won this event on two occasions, they'll also attract plenty of attention. And Bjorn Hung defends a title for the first time, having won in scintillating style last year, while his fellow Koreans Wang Jun-hoon and Lee Soo-min make their debuts on the back of their victories. It's a star-studded field as always, despite notable absentees, and the likes of Martin Keimer, Russell Knox, Francesco Molinari and Shane Lowry will all expect to be among the contenders. That's your Sport News this hour. Well, it's been a fantastic week. I have to say that I enjoyed myself this week focusing on just Africa in itself. I know we do that every week, but there was such a different vibe this week speaking to the different issues. And there was kind of an optimism about how Africans feel about the continent. I have to say my highlight was yesterday being in Yeovil. I'm really, really kind of uh, still pumped about the broadcast. It was almost offbeat. It was not prepared. It was all over the place because we were just bringing ordinary people from the streets. But it has to be a highlight for me. 
me just to speak to ordinary people is always always the best thing to do and speaking to people from the streets the Africans themselves was a great great experience indeed hey remember African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time remember you can interact with us on uh, Channel Africa and you can do that on our Twitter at Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue that's our Twitter here and you can SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Don't forget to email us. Our email address is info at channelafrica.org. You can also listen to us if you're listening to us from the USA. Remember, you can do that by calling us there from 605-475-4711. You call us on 605-475-1711. For me, Benjamin Mushatam, until next week, we won't have a show tomorrow, but we'll be back on um, Monday. But I'll also be there on Saturday. Remember, we've got a live broadcast on Saturday for our anniversary. It's going to be exciting indeed. We'll be back in Yeovil and we'll be parting a storm there. So do join us as well on Saturday. The whole day we'll be hanging out in Yeovil once again with our African community there. Yeah.